we're not going to Chris Hardwick our way into this, or we just sort of. I wish I got that. I I know who he is, obviously, but I don't totally get what I don't listen to the on his podcast, podcast. He just sort of like starts rolling while people are like sitting on the couch and like getting ready, and then. Are you on a couch? I'm, I'm sitting on my bed actually, but okay, so, inevitably yes. about four minutes in, someone they're like, "Is this? Are, are we doing this right now? Are we on?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, that's just kind of how we do it." And so, but you have a more formal start every show. We sure do. Um, that's hilarious. I'm sure each time. Is it a weekly show? I hope it's daily, and I hope that always happens because there's nothing funnier than when someone's acknowledging like, "I don't know how this works." Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Hey everyone ever, and welcome to 20th Century Popcast, the show where we try to understand the present while living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins. I'm missing Bob Canning, but I'm here with another mind uh, to talk to. He's also a mutual friend of both uh, Bob and, according to these notes, say your name here, uh, special guest. Oh, I'm Jason Smith. Hello. Thank you. We should have rehearsed that. I know we did not. But uh, yes, Jason Smith, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for kind of being Thanks in. Thanks for having me. That was awkward. Normally, Bob opens up the show. He does a much better job than I just <laughs> I'm sorry, did. Bob can't be here today. Please say hi to Bob for me. Oh, I guess he'll listen to this. Hi, Bob. Actually, I don't know if he will listen to this because he's not on this one. This is, uh, this is <laughs> oh, me and you. Um, there's been a few that have been just me, and those have some pretty low hits. But thank you. Yeah. If I can ask you real quick, and then we'll get into the episode. Would you mind saying what you do now for a living? Because I find it kind of interesting. I think it may tie into the show. Is that am, putting you on the spot? No, I'm a video editor. I make um, videos for a channel called The CW. I don't work directly for them, but I make... Um, if you go on Facebook to any of the show pages from The CW um, and you watch an interview with a showrunner who's talking about this week's episode, I made that. Um, I've been doing it for about 10 years and by reckoning, I've done about three to 4,000 of them by now, which is kind of nuts. Yeah. That's what I say every day when I sit down to do it. (laughs) Um, Notch another number there. And I, and it's a lot. It is. We'll get to the topic in a minute. I'm just curious. Something like that is something that I would have watched growing up behind the scenes, making of featurettes Mm. interviews, stuff like that is stuff that I loved. Did -hmm. you have a similar attachment to it? Like... Oh, yeah. I love that stuff. Um, I used to watch that Star Wars documentary from Star Wars to Star Wars, or not, I forget what it's called, Star Wars to Jedi. Oh, man, I'd watch that over and over and over, and I'd pause it on my VHS player and frame, we had a frame through thing you could do where you could just move it one frame and see, like, how all the stuff worked. And this is nowhere near as involved. It's just people talking about the story most of the time, but occasionally I'll get to do something super cool like when they have the big superhero crossovers or whatever, we get all the raw footage and I get to dive into that and make something really cool. So yeah, it's a really fun job. It's very different every day. You get to work on something that I feel like is something that I would have been waiting my whole life for, which is kind of like this era of superhero shows, you know, movies mm-hmm. and TV yeah. shows and, and spectacular sci-fi. Like there's really been in the past... I don't know, 15 years or something, which I guess is actually now a long span of time, there's a blurring of lines between mediums that I don't think was always there. I think growing up, you know, you had 
you would have cartoons, but you didn't have live action shows of this stuff. You know, every now and then you'd get maybe a uh, a movie like you'd get Superman, you'd get Batman, and and the thing is, when a comic book is adapted to the big screen like that. It's a separate entity from the comic book. It, it can disobey like certain continuity and stuff like that. Like it can, it can betray or change elements of what you knew, and, and it's fine because you're getting to see it on the big screen. Um, I feel like a lot of these shows on the CW are they kind of do that. There there is a changing to make it work on TV, but I feel like I'm seeing little hits of the comic books, and I'm seeing characters I never thought I would see. You know, oh, constantly. Which yeah, constantly. They're pulling them, especially in the Flash. They're pulling these characters out that you're like, I cannot believe, I cannot believe we live in an age where there's been like multiple Gorilla Grodd centered episodes of television. <laughs> Not bad looking either for, for for a giant gorilla character. Especially considering they're like they're a TV budget and CW. You know, they keep pumping this amazing. They do a lot with what they've got to work with. They do incredible things, and all the effects people work so hard, and, and all the actors and everybody, they all do. So it really shows. And it's, when I started there, it was all like One Tree Hill and Gossip Girl and reality shows. And so to be at the ground floor when, like, like I cut the press kit for Arrow. So, oh. like, I was seeing Arrow and putting Arrow stuff out for the, some of the first stuff that people saw of Arrow back when it was, like, the mean, gritty very reality kind of feeling super guy um i got <laughs> to be guy. a part of that and that was super i don't know what i'm i'm not very good at this no, but he, he, no, um, and super guy by the way is is what i always remember there was longbow hunters was the mike grell uh green arrow book and then yep. super guys i think was the alan moore follows so you're totally <laughs> correct yes um but no, yes. I, I, that's, and I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just, the CW has done a great job, whereas the DC movies sometimes falter. On TV, DC is doing really great work, I think, and the CW seems to yeah, be absolutely. figuring out a way to adapt these comic books. What I find in, to talk about adaptions, adaptations for a minute, because that's eventually when we get to topic, what we'll be talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I do find it odd that, yeah, when comic books jump to the screen, big screen and little screen, things change. Growing up, something that I experienced a lot was like films and TV shows would get adapted into comic books. Like Star Wars became a comic book Mm -hmm. or Transformers became a comic book. And I think Star Wars adapts Mm -hmm. well. I think that goes well. And you can back then you could probably play around. Ewoks didn't have to adhere to the strict Jedi continuity, whereas a Porg (laughs) cartoon now would have to make sure it references, say, The Last Jedi. Um, But to get get into the topic for today, I think this, finally, I've been looking for segues this whole time, uh, the talk about this, this, I I think so. Thank you, Jason. Maybe you'll be on more often if that's the kind of compliments I can get. I appreciate that. Um, (laughs) Nice job. You're good at podcast talking. And I will be putting that in the show notes, um, at, so you can just skip to that moment. Um, no, I, today. Well, today we're talking about uh, something, and you you brought it to the show. Uh, what what are we talking about today? If you want to mention that real quick, um, the greatest movie ever made in the history of cinema, Willow. Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. What Willow? No, <laughs> Willow. No, no, Not no, Willow, no crossover no. between these two things. But yeah, Star Trek The Wrath of Khan, no. which, um, I mean, Wrath of Khan is a continuation. You know, we're talking about source material, big screen, little screen. Wrath of Khan's a continuation of a TV show, of a fairly popular mm-hmm. TV show as a big screen movie. But more than that, 
Um, it's a continuation of a particular episode of that show, correct? Arathicon f- follows up on, true, uh, yeah. on Space Seed. Space Seed, yep. Yeah, now, picked did, up the story of what happened after in the end of the episode of Space Seed when they left Khan on a planet and all his followers. Was, that was Shatner's way, sorry, Kirk's way of um, dealing with him. It was like, oh, he wants to be a prince? Let him be a prince of this world in the middle of nowhere where he can't hurt anybody. And dumped him off and then this movie is about paying the price for the sins of the past and Khan shows up and in a place no one expects and is able to come back and cause a lot of problems for William Shatner now are you a Star Trek fan were you a Star Trek fan prior to Wrath of Khan are you are you a fan of the show or is it just kind of this movie is is what you like about uh, Star Trek well when I when I first saw it I was six <laughs> Um, and I didn't know anything about Star Trek, but I knew Star Wars. And my dad's like, well, it's a space movie like Star Wars. So, okay. And so we lived in Texas, and he took me to the theater at the mall. And I was six in 1982. And um, that was too young to see this movie. Oh, you and think? It was, was it's too- kind of intense. And mm-hmm. people get, like, bled out. And there's a scene where they, the famous scene where they, he's got these little eels, these seti eels. And he picks them out with tweezers and he puts them in space helmets and puts them on these guys' heads. And these little creatures, these slimy, slithery creatures, slither up the cheeks of Captain Terrell and of Chekhov and go into their ears, like eat their way in through their eardrum into their ears so that he can control their brains. Yeah, they put tings in his damn ears. Yeah. And they, um, that was the most terrifying, by far terrifying thing I'd ever, ever, ever seen. And I was so scared that I left the movie theater oh. and went out in the lobby. And my dad never came out. Oh, you've never seen <laughs> him again? And so I sat out there for the whole rest of the movie. And that happens 15 minutes into the movie. Yeah. I sat there the whole time. And the, the people, the girls that worked there, the high school kids felt bad for me and like, one girl had a little water game in her purse. She let me play for a while, and she came out and was like, all right, let's go. And so it scared the crap out of me, and I didn't know anything about Star Trek or anything about any of that. And then later on, I was probably eight or nine when it started. I started watching it on reruns. It was on, like, every night or every afternoon. The TV show as, as a series. The old show. Yeah. And I vaguely remembered I, that there was some connection, but since I hadn't really seen the movie, I didn't know. Um, and I really got into that show. I loved it as a kid and would build the stuff with my Legos and have my own adventures. And um, it was, I didn't see that movie again until I was probably in junior high. Um, and I loved it, but I would still like go hide at the scene with the set of eels. I was still scared of it up until you know late junior high, probably. Um, but it's funny because that movie, I loved that movie seeing it full through like i loved it and i've loved it ever since but like in a different way and for different reasons sort of at every age of my life Mm because that movie is made in a way that like it's really about something it's about life and death and it's about real things it's not just about itself it's not just about like i gotta get the whatever device to here before three hours three hours it's like it's about people and life and death and and mistakes and aging and all these different things. And so when I was 
<clears throat> excuse me, when I was a teenager, I loved it for like the spaceship battles and like the passionate like Jack London characters, people throwing fists in the air and being like fire and all that <laughs> stuff. We loved that stuff. Um, but then like getting older, like I went to college and it was. I started to get like, oh, this these guys are like, they're like the tricksters. Like Captain Kirk is a trickster because he's pulling, the whole way he wins is he's outsmarting and outwitting and pulling these tricks on Khan. And he's totally, you know, on the ropes the whole movie. The ship is all blown up and everything is wrecked and they're not going to fix it in time, but he just like finds some sneaky way to outsmart. And I loved that. And I really tried to like, make that part of my life and my personality. I don't know how well that worked out, but... Now, were you a fan of Captain Kirk prior to that? Like, I know you were watching the show, but did something click at an age where... Because it sounds like Kirk in Wrath of Khan, the way, at least the way you just described him, is a very particular Kirk to you. Was that kind of a new Captain Kirk? Because people... I mean, people know Star Trek. I don't think we have to go into the history of it, but prior to let's go back a little prior to high school or prior to college when you're getting the wrath of Khan when you're watching Star Trek on TV what was it to you at because you knew the name because you knew wrath of Khan scared you at six finding it on TV what mm-hmm. was that as a show for you like what was your connection to that program because I, I didn't watch um, a lot of Star Trek it wasn't I like it now and I definitely watched episodes here and there but I had this weird distinction of even at that age like I like Star Wars so I'm not going to like Star Trek that, that, which is a dumb distinction but mm-hmm. I made it what, what was the draw for you to watch the show? I liked that it was a space show mm-hmm. I liked that they were in a ship and that everyone had a job on the ship and I thought I could do that like I could follow a path where I could be in some version of that. And I guess I kind of knew that, like, I could join the military and be in the Navy. And basically all those jobs were jobs in the Navy, except for, like, you know, running the teleporter or whatever. <laughs> but there's some kind of connection. And it it was always really fun. Um, Star Trek the was the were program. fun with each other. The TV show Star Trek, yeah. I enjoyed that. But I also liked the idea that, like, uh, Captain Kirk was a farm boy. He was just, like, a kid from Iowa. And he grew up and was like the youngest captain ever of a starship. Is that, that was on a the, part show, of the show? Or that, that come from the so, movies? Yeah. that's on the show as well. No, that was always part of the show. He was the youngest captain in Starfleet, and the youngest captain there had ever been. But he was just so damn good at it; they couldn't help but put him in charge. And he was always like outwitting and outsmarting. And they had such a great friendship together, the three Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. That was always really funny and fun. And this, this show is a really funny show, but it also is a, always about something and about people and friendships. And I know nowadays, that, you know, analyzing it like that, I probably at the time was like, oh, it's bright color and they have, you know, phasers and torpedoes. <laughs> but it was always really fun. And I, it looked different than anything that was on TV because it was so brightly colored. It was that Technicolor era. They made it. And Did you know it was an older show? Did you have the idea that this yeah. is an old show yeah. from the 60s? Yeah, you could tell, because it also sort of dealt with things that we had moved on from. But at that so, age, like, you could tell that at that age? like it, I, As a you, kid, when well, I watched stuff, like the, I assumed it was new, regardless if it was old. Mm-hmm. The first episode I ever saw of it, I flipped into it, and it was one where they went to a planet that was like a Nazi planet, <laughs> and Spock put on like a Nazi uniform. I was like, what is this? But even then it's like my grandpa fought the Nazis. So like, this is an old, you know, someone cared about this much. It, it 
like nowadays I would have better words for it, but back then it was just, you could kind of tell because of the subject matter dealing with that, that it was kind of an older thing, but I don't, you know, nowadays, who knows? I was seven. Um, but I think that's important to it. think it you're watching the show at seven. And it sounds like the draw is, I guess I'm wondering because like, I, I like science fiction and I always did, but like there were things mm-hmm. from the sixties I would not watch. Like I liked superhero cartoons, but I didn't want to watch the ones from the sixties cause they were old. Like I did make mm-hmm. that distinction yeah. actually. Um, Scooby-Doo, I would watch that was from the sixties. That was fine. I could watch that, but that, mm-hmm. you know, I, I made these divisions and then Star Trek I didn't watch because for some reason, even at that age, Star Wars, Star Trek, I was into Star Wars, but the fascination with this show seems almost, I think you said, it was like a career education, like a career. There was something in that that was like you wanted to do the same. Am I, am I well, hearing was, right? Yeah, kind of. And it was also like the guy who was the boss. Because I, like, I had the two heroes, at the, three heroes at that age. I had Optimus Prime. Yay. I had Luke Skywalker. And I didn't want to be Han Solo like everyone else. I wanted to be Luke Skywalker. That was always, that was mine. And so whenever we play, no one wanted to be Luke. Everyone wanted to be Han Solo. And so oh, like, really? Great, I got to be Luke. I always had to be Darth Vader because I was the tallest. <laughs> oh, yeah. not Chewbacca. No, we but, never had um, a Chewbacca. And then it was Captain Kirk was the third one. And the thing that out of the three of them, well, I could never be a robot, transforming robot, and lead an army. They're all leaders. You have a license. I could never be Luke because I don't have the Force. I wasn't born with the Force. No, no matter he's how many a farm times boy. To levitate Luke's a, a toy. farm boy. He is a farm boy. But he's got that, like, that destiny where he was born different. And I wasn't. I was just a normal kid. No matter how much huh. I tried to levitate my toys, it would never happen. Because I didn't have kid. the Force. I wasn't like, born with it. He's closer in age than Kirk. Like, that's why I, would, that's sure. I find it interesting that Luke's not the draw here you're it sounds like you're going to captain kirk who is this adult i mean i loved all three of them but kirk i could actually be if i worked hard enough and like learned the right things i felt like he's the one i could actually be now of course he lives three centuries in the future and pilots (laughs) a spaceship but like you know he's the one that like he worked his way up the ranks and there were episodes where like he'd meet his old captain and they'd be like ah jim kirk i remember when you were just a Ensign and and you know he he made mistakes in the past and he learned things and people admired him for different things and like he was a he was a guy I could be and that's something that like Star Wars didn't have for me as much as I loved it and don't get me wrong I worship Star Wars but like until this Last Jedi there was no no real in for a normal person to become a Jedi like you you couldn't just couldn't be it you could fantasize about it as much as you want but you may as well wish you were a king or a queen like oh see i never i never saw it that way that's so weird i luke skywalker is a character i related to and i'm not saying he and kirk have the same path but like luke you get to see do this stuff like i don't think it necessarily resonated with me as a kid but the big part of the first star wars him on tatooine and then deciding you know there's something bigger for me out there i mean that's that's me in my small town. You know, that's me watching shows sit in mm-hmm. New York and wanting to be there. That's me later in life going to college. That's always me dreaming of the bigger thing, but not knowing mm-hmm. how to get there. And it taking not a tragedy of Luke proportions, like, you know, not having a homestead destroyed. Right. But it's always taken a, a, a drastic life change to get me to the next step. So I've always related to Luke Skywalker. There's just something mythic about that, that I don't look at Kirk as a mythic character um, mm, or an archetype. No. It sounds like he's a very real 
in a lot of ways, Kirk is sort of the, the positive, and there aren't many, positive aspects of America kind of thing or something. Like there's something mm-hmm. achievable maybe about Kirk that isn't this... Like, I, there's an archetype of what the three of them are, him, McCoy, and Spock. But Kirk, as a person, he's not necessarily yeah. following an age-old mythic path. Is he? Am I, maybe I'm missing something mm-hmm. on Kirk. No, not until J.J. Abrams got his hands on him. Um, oh. How do you feel about stuff, that? He was like a farm. Oh, I, I really enjoyed the first reboot Star Trek movie. I thought it was brilliant. The whole point of it was, let's modernize it. Or at least the whole point he would always say in interviews, let's modernize this so we can tell new stories with these old characters. And then the next movie, they just basically did a remake of Wrath of Khan. Yeah, and then the one after that, it was like, it's just stepping backwards. And they defeated the whole purpose of what they did, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really enjoyed that first one because it, like, it was going somewhere different. And it hadn't been a long time. It was kind of repeating itself, even in the Next Generation era, um, but so it was nice to be like, oh, this is a fresh take on all this. Mm-hmm. I thought a lot of people felt different, but I really liked that first, the Star Trek reboot, the first Chris Pine one. Later one, the second one, I just infuriated me because yeah. they spent all that time and it was basically a remake of Wrath of Khan in, on some level because the guy was Khan and Khan was like the greatest villain ever in Star Trek and this movie is the greatest movie ever. So why would you... Why would you remake that if the whole point is to move forward? Like, tell something new. Yeah. Don't just poorly remake. I mean, that movie, there's literally a scene where they recite word for word the most powerful scene of Wrath of Khan. And, like, if the whole point of doing these reboots is to move on, why would you do that? Like, that's the opposite of moving on. You're literally taking someone's old script and remaking it. So, Do you think that was trying to find a balance? Like, after... Because, yeah, the reboot, the first Star Trek, and I, again, I'm not as, I like Star Trek. I'm not as invested. Like, I understand mm-hmm. the flexibility of rebooting it. And I enjoyed that first one because it was, mm-hmm. I feel like it was showing an era I had not seen before, at least. I know it's in books and stuff. Jumping into Wrath of Khan, do you think that was an attempt to win back to people who didn't want to change? Which doesn't sound right. Like, I, yeah, I don't know why they would choose to go into remaking what I think is probably, at least for me, the most iconic. Star Trek moment, the Wrath of Khan film. Probably because it was, you know, probably because that's the one that the true fans love the most always. It's the favorite. It's that one and then the one with the whales that everyone remembers. Yeah, the one with the whales. And so maybe they're like, well, let's bring in this iconic villain, even though he's going to be totally different and be played by a different guy of a different ethnicity and whatever. Like, let's make him that guy because then the fans will be like, yeah, and then we'll win him over. But then everyone's like, is he Khan? Are you making a Khan movie? And they're like, no, he's not Khan. And they went all these lengths to fake people out that it wasn't Khan, which is really kind of irresponsible and disingenuous. And they even like, they made, they did the special effects on one of the scenes and they made, they had been saying this fake name, Harrison, something Harrison. And so they used this fake name in the graphics of the scene, like in the movie, and they showed this this whole extended scene to a bunch of like nerd reporters to convince them, see, see, it's not Khan. It's like, why would you do that? Oh, because we live in an era of spoilers. I like that they can do that. I like the fact that they can lead people, because there's too much. I'm trying to avoid Infinity War stuff, and anytime I see a headline on like comic book movie or the AV Club, it gives something away. I, I like that they can do that. That's a waste of money, but I like that they did it. <laughs> 
but I find why it infuriating you do <laughs> it's well, like why would you do that like why not just own it why make this the twist like why not just well because it's sh- it's supposed to be a twist in the story i'm not saying it's a good story but because it's so hard to keep a twist like because people wanted to like I managed to go an entire year last year without knowing a single single thing or seeing a single clip of Last Jedi. So when I sat through that, it was an honest experience. It was amazing. And it was a lot of work. And it really shouldn't be that much. I I think people still like being (laughs) excited by movies and entertained by movies. But all these people wanting to pick apart, well, who's in Infinity War with this? And I'm just like, just stop. It's out in a week. Mm -hmm. By the time this airs, it'll have already been out. It's like, just... There was this need to, to pick apart and catch your glimpses. And I, I, I like, and again, I'm not a fan. Into Darkness, is that what the second Star Trek is called? Yes. Yeah, I, or the second of the, the new ones. Dark, darkness. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of that, but I do like that they went a route of maybe what they have to do in this era, which I think that says more about fandom than it does about the filmmaker. I mean, it says there's a lot of extra money lying around in Hollywood that you can do all this fake out, but... I think that there is almost a need for that. It says a little more about the fandom. But to not get angry at the 21st century, Wrath of Khan, this movie that we're going to set out mm-hmm. to, to talk about, you were talking about how your connection to it and how it seemed like there was one or two tears yeah. to that. Well, it. I was talking about earlier how it kind of meant something different at every age of my life to me be just because of what the story is about. And like as a grown-up, Whereas in college, it was a kind of formative of like kind of how I wanted to be like as a person, as like a trickster and a clever person. Um, And I really tried to be like that, not necessarily be like Captain Kirk, but just kind of be like a tricky, like someone who would outwit people. Um, But then as an adult watching it, you kind of, for me at least, you see different things in it because you have different life experience. And there's all this stuff has always been in it, but like a five-year-old doesn't notice this stuff about like a lot of the story is about Kirk's past kind of catching up to him. I mean, the whole story is about it because Khan is like a choice he made, you know, 20 years ago to maroon this guy. And now that choice is coming back to like haunt him and murder all his friends. And there's also a whole story in it where he, Kirk in the TV show, he kind of got around and, they kind of got a reputation where you had like a girl in every port. And if you watch the show, that wasn't really what it was like, but that's kind of what the, the, the viewing public sort of built a reputation as. And so they kind of leaned into that in the story where um, the woman that is at the center of this, Carol Marcus, is an ex of his. And the scientist, the lead scientist on the project that she's working on is her son, David. And it's his son. Captain Kirk's and son. He does, he, Kirk's son and he hasn't spoken to her about it in, you know, the 20-whatever years since, probably it seems like, since she got pregnant. Because when they finally meet in the movie, and he's like, is that David? Is that, is that him? Because he, he doesn't know anything about it. He has no connection. And there's this whole angle of his story that's like this different life he could have led if he had made different choices. And he struggles with it because, like, he really likes his you know parts of his life but he is struggling with where he is because it's also a story about aging Mm -hmm. Um, that's what i've been really noticing recently that's a very powerful movie about Mm -hmm. getting older and it's very powerful yeah do you think that would have been capable if there hadn't been like if star trek had started as a film series 
with these characters, would that story, you could probably still tell this story. Like, it's interesting that that story gets to tell itself because part of the reason I think they tell that story in the movie is because they have to acknowledge that these actors are older. Bob and I have been talking on the show sporadically about TV revivals and reboots and like something that comes back, like the X-Files coming back. And that didn't work for me because where the actors are at in their life doesn't fit what the characters are supposed to be doing. The fact that Mulder is, you know, everything that's gone on in his life for him to still be part of the FBI doesn't really work. All these things that would have made the show work don't work because his character has aged out of a point that I want to watch that character as. Wrath of Khan, I feel like, because I do, I think if nothing else, that movie is about aging and it's so powerful. It's the oh, it's amazing work. And I think that is almost like they had to do that because we have, and it's a, gr- and I think it's a rare experience. It's this weird thing of, we had this beloved show that's 20 years old, probably by the time it comes out or almost 20 years old, these actors have aged 20 years, but we're trying to tell the same stories. We have to acknowledge the aging. I don't know though. Cause you look at Shatner around that era and the era of Wrath of Khan, Shatner was T.J. Hooker. Shatner was like banging Heather Locklear. Like Shatner was a stud still. He was out there and he was like a manly man and jumping over the hoods of cop cars. But was like, that believable, so like or was him, that that's William Shatner's influence know, on the show? At the time, but like well, that's funny. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I true. I don't hear T.J. Hooker I as think, a sex <laughs> like a, 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 a sex symbol. <laughs> I don't hear people remembering yeah. about the T.J. Hooker fallout they got from their Weekly Reader. I. I, but I don't know that show, I, I mean, guess. Like, I mean, we were kids when this came out, but my understanding of the reaction to it was a lot of people, and it kind of rings with some people's reaction with Force Awakens, so that some people had a real problem with seeing this guy who was like the stud of Star Trek, mm-hmm. you know, who was like always karate chopping dudes on the neck and like getting with the green lady and all that stuff, to see him like put on glasses and talk about being old and like be an old man was hard for some people but it's brilliant because he finds a way to still be awesome and to turn what in the beginning of that movie he's like super depressed because he's old and he's given up being a captain he's an admiral now he's doing inspections he's training kids on the simulator and like he hates it he's miserable and like McCoy comes to him and brings him some liquor from across the neutral zone and he's like, what the hell's the matter with you, Jim? And like, they're, you know, they talk about it and he's like, what is wrong with you? Like, just get your job back. Like, go be a captain again. You love that. You're awesome at it. Quit being a loser, doing this thing just because the world tells you you're, you know, has awarded you, made you an admiral and gives you all this respect, but you're miserable. Go back and do the thing you love. And by the end of the movie, he's done exactly that and he's found everything he ever lost in the process. And like, has become a whole person again and like he loses pays a great price in the process but it he is where he should be and all the other star trek movies kind of chase that that thing i think where he is where he should be like this is the perfect place for you and as a grown-up watching he was 50 when they made this (laughs) um and it's kind of amazing I think that he was 50 when they made this and they actually dealt with this. They embraced it and they made it a real part of the story. And I think that's amazing. I I don't feel like they would do that today. I don't think they did it again. I think to watch, and I like the other Star Trek movies, but to watch three, four, five, and six, 
he's supposed to be a young action star again, I think. Or he ceases <laughs> yeah. being, he doesn't grow any further. I mean, maybe I'm wrong in this, but he doesn't grow into being an older man. Like, it's hard to watch him in Generations, the last one that he did. And I like that yeah. one. I think that one's endearing enough. But he looks, and he is old. I mean, that's 12 years after Wrath of Khan, so he's 62 then, if that's mm. the age. But I don't know, there's something in Wrath of Khan, and I don't know, and I'm curious to how... Like, I get getting it now, but, like, I don't know if that hit me as a kid. It's an amazing... No. How could it? Well... How could it? Because you know, be... Stuff about getting old, like, when you're five? Like, that's all over your head. But then what, what am I... Unless what, you're... What are you holding on to with Kirk in that? I mean, I know you keep saying this idea, like, there's something about Kirk you like, and it must be from the TV series, because what, as a kid then, as a kid who, who sought out Wrath of Khan once you finally saw it, you know, at home, not from the lobby... What were you identifying with? How do you latch on to that particular Kirk? Because the Kirk in Star Trek Two is different, and because he's older and once grown. he gets behind the wheel, once he's the boss again, once he's the captain again, the things that make him awesome come out because they are always there. They are part of who he is. Mm -hmm. It's not just that he's like good at a thing, like shooting a gun or something like that. Like. Who he is is cleverness, and he's a trickster, and he, you know, a little bit of a con man at one point. The, he is up against the ropes in these totally overwhelming circumstances, and he finds a tricky way to get out of it every single time because he's clever. And the bad guy is so effing scary, and for him to just like not be scared on the surface of this guy and to like really show that guy up was really cool as a kid i really enjoyed the you know all the the tricks he would pull and like as an adult i understand it more but like as a kid you know he they get stranded on a planet they're buried in the middle of an asteroid there's no way they'll ever get out the enterprise is totally smashed up there's no way they're going to be able to save them khan's coming it's going to kill them all and then he like is eating an apple and he tells you the story of the kobayashi maru how he won this simulator test by cheating and then he opens his communicator and he's like, it's been two hours, you ready? And they beam him up. And you're like, what? But that's not. And so they, they not only tricked Khan, but they tricked the audience. And like a good con man story is always delightful because like we've all seen so much TV and movies and we know what's happening. We know what's coming. So to be tricked is like is awesome. It's still a good feeling. And and to see Khan, to see Mercado Montalban be like, wow, is, is always a blast. <laughs> no, the so, scene, those scenes are awesome. I love that about him. But as a kid, were, what did you do with the first 20 minutes of the movie? How were you processing that? Was that interesting to you? Or was it kind of like, I don't want to watch Kirk get a the birthday present? The stuff was all over my head. The, yeah, the boring conversation with McCoy over liquor, I usually fast-forwarded through at that age. Which is one of the most amazing conversations I've ever seen on Star Trek. I love that scene. I love how fragile. I've never seen William Shatner like this movie anywhere else. And even as I just, there's something about Kirk in this and everyone, everyone gets to do something in this movie. Well, not everyone, I guess almost everyone gets to do something in this movie. But so I don't know. I, I, as a kid, like my memories of seeing this as a kid are choppy. I don't remember sitting. I know I've sat through the whole thing, but it is, it's the space battles is what I remember. Cause that's the part that's mm -hmm. like star Wars, but coming back it's to it, epic. I've been coming back to it since college, and it has been resonating. This aging thing has been re resonating. Mm -hmm. It ties into this idea mm -hmm. of 
nostalgia almost. And it's interesting to me because it's a movie where you have a character who's dealing with, you know, the, 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 the highs of a past, you know, like you're, you know, this idea that Mm -hmm. you've outgrown your position, you need to move on Mm -hmm. this idea of advancement, all of that I get, but it's within this idea of, it's also a movie of this show that people are nostalgic for. And there's a little bit of reinventing Mm -hmm. with Star Trek to get Star Trek two out there. It's, It's different from the show, but it keeps it going. It keeps an angle going, but there's something in it that is very much, nostalgia based it's a look at nostalgia and i mentioned this because prior to the show you told me that you had the opportunity to speak with the director nicholas meyer am i correct on that yeah there was a um last year was the anniversary of it last year was it last year yeah, it would have been in May? yeah would've last been year was the anniversary 35th anniversary? 30th anniversary jesus 35th anniversary it was a big anniversary it made me feel old but they were they did a screening of it at a theater. Uh, I live in Los Angeles here, and it was in Beverly Hills. And um, Nicholas Meyer, the director, was going to be there to speak, and I was so excited. And I went, and it was not a sold-out crowd. It felt really weird. But then later on, they did like a more official one that was a totally packed house one that I did not get to go to. But this one, it's a really um, not. It wasn't empty, but it wasn't full. And usually for something like this, like Star Trek especially, it's usually totally full. You go see it at a revival house for five bucks, and it's totally packed to the rafters. But that was odd, but that gave me the chance. People are going out for autographs and stuff at the end, and he was chatting. And so I was like, well, shit, I'm going to excuse me. Well, hell, well, can we swear? Well, crap. You can. We get three swears an episode, so you can do that. Okay, good. Now you have to mark it for mature audiences only. I went up to him. And I told him the story. I said, you know, I, my dad took me to this when I was six years old, and that scared the hell out of me. And now it's my favorite movie. And without missing a beat, he looked at me and said, that's a counterphobic response. I said, what? He said, that's a counterphobic response. You know what that is? I was like, yeah, I know what that is. He's like, yeah, that's a counterphobic response. I don't know that's what that really word is. What does that word mean? And I didn't know what it was either, but I had to pretend I did because I'm totally awkward in moments. I never want to talk to any celebrity because no matter how much I'm into them, I am so awkward (laughs) that I'll say something stupid. And I never, ever do. I never get autographs, never do any of that. And this is living in Hollywood where you see people at a grocery store. But um, I looked it up after. A counterphobic response is basically like you get, when you get scared, really scared of something as a little kid, um, your the way your brain forms connections that when you get older you get super into it. Hmm. Um, so that which is a really interesting psychological like process property. I don't know what the word is, but the idea that I was so scared of it that it like formed this super connection to it that I kept getting drawn back to it. Um, is, is the idea that, like, the only reason I liked this was because I was so scared as a kid. Do you think watching and the TV show I, was an inching I, back towards it? Do you think that was part of that process, like when you found it on TV? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. And this is kind of what I went through after he said that, because it, like, that kind of shook me a little bit, because this movie is so important to me, and it's, it's my favorite movie. And I'm someone who came to Los Angeles to be a filmmaker, and this is a part of it. Um, and I love it. And with a, like, I really, truly love this film and think it really is a, one of the great films. And 
people, anyone listening might be like, that's ridiculous, it's a Star Trek film. But, like, it's about something in a way that any Hollywood blockbuster you ever watch is not. It's really about meaningful things that really stay with you. And so it really, like, rattled me that maybe it could all be a lie. Like, maybe I never actually was into this and that it was just this psychological response based on fear. And I kind of had to, like, live with that for a little while. And the more I thought about it, like, I could absolutely see that it was true because I was drawn back to it as a teenager, a young teenager, like, out of fear. But I would still go out of the room during the scary part <laughs> that I knew was coming. That You know, even, like, in fifth grade, I'd go out of the room, which is ridiculous. Um, and now you watch it, and it's like, you know, it's 80s special effects. It's like a rubber... <laughs> thing with jello on it yeah you know, but you saw it at the right time then like, for it to hit you because as a yeah. kid that's frightening yeah it sounds it's like still a scary scene but it's also it's deflating the power of nostalgia a little is what it sounds like to me what yeah. he said calls into question absolutely yeah all these things we hold on everything. to everything yeah and eventually what i kind of came to grips with was that like it may have been the reason that i got into it and if we were talking about you know, Friday the 13th, part seven or something, it would probably be the truth. Like, if we were talking about some scary movie meant to be scary, but was maybe not a good movie, and if that was, if, you know, if I was saying that, I, don't, I didn't watch horror movies, but if I was saying Highlander 3 was my favorite movie ever, because I saw it when I was a kid and got scared of it, I think it would be easier to say, well, that's ridiculous. But this is actually like a legit good movie, I still believe. And so I've chosen to, believe that like yeah maybe it was a counterphobic response that got me back into it and thank god because i love it so much um yeah i guess that's not a bad response it's it's interesting because the themes of wrath of khan are unique to you are unique to wrath of khan that i would be willing to guess there are other movies and other comics in just sci-fi that deal with similar themes but Wrath of Khan is the one you get to. That's the one you get to experience and you connect with. And again, it's, it's, it's a weird precipice thing because it's kind of like, so if you had gone to it with your dad and sat through it the whole time, you might have not connected with it. If some, or if you had seen I'm it on wondering. TV for the first time, not in the theater, you may not have connected with it. Because maybe there is something to that fear that's different interaction like going to when i saw it was when you told me that you were waiting in the lobby for it when i went to see ghostbusters at age eight i would i kept covering my eyes and when the containment grid blew i did the same thing i went in the lobby and i waited till that movie was over ghostbusters is one of my fucking favorite movies now <laughs> and i remember coming back to it the next year having to approach it being like we're gonna watch this and making it through so there was this sort of and again, there are other comedies in the world. Ghostbusters also touches on ghosts. It was the first job I ever thought I wanted. There's a lot to that movie. But I, I do wonder, is there something in the, 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 the pop culture that winds up speaking to us the most? I think it needs to be somehow unique to us. I've got two young girls now, a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And I look at the movies that are made for that age now and... Because these movies we're talking about, Ghostbusters wasn't a kid's movie, but we were encouraged to see it. Star Trek II was not a kid's movie, but we were brought to see it. Like, there's a lot of, like, Gremlins was certainly not a kid's movie, but, like, you know, when I was six, people were going to see it. And 
it's interesting the intersection of like the terror and fear and that is absent largely from a lot of kids movies now that are just sort of roller coaster rides with booger jokes <laughs> um you do see if you watch a disney movie there is always in every disney movie well not every but there's a grand tradition of scaring the crap out of kids in disney movies which i was not expecting as an adult who enjoys disney movies and i always like i love lion king and aladdin the ones that were from the era that i came up in um, but I hadn't seen a lot of the more recent kind of stuff until I had kids, and now we got frozen on twice a month and, you know, stuff like that. But there's, in every kids' movie, there's, like, some, in every Disney kids' movie, there's some element of, like, real danger where, like, they are they're going to die. And I thought, seeing this as an adult, there's a part of me that's like, I can't let my kids see this. But then it's like, well, no, they they should see this. They could build up, a, like an ability to deal with being scared by stuff um, in a way that maybe, you know, if you're too sheltered and too protected, you don't have a chance to. It's so like, have you, have you ever seen the original Snow White, the old Snow White? Yeah. That movie, was, the stuff with the witch is scary as hell. Mm -hmm. It is terrifying. That was the first feature film cartoon and no one knew if this was going to work and like, they're bringing their kids to this and it is like that's one that might even be too much for my girls because it is scared you laughing and the eyes and part of the reason that's scary is because I think any animation from the 30s is kind of scary because it looked different <laughs> yeah. like I don't think that's a bad it's thing like so I have creepy. a hard time watching some stuff even now from the 30s like Betty Boop cartoons and stuff mm. like that because I'm like this is creepy the way the stuff's moving it's interesting yeah. but but it's it, that, yeah. that might be true I <clears throat> and I do wonder that because like when I talk to like because Bob has two two girls actually and we'll talk sometimes about mm -hmm. stuff that we grew up seeing that he doesn't want his daughters to see. And I just, I wonder, because like you were just saying, like Ghostbusters wasn't made for us. I think it was. I mean, I think it was made for a lot of people, but it's like, I was I was brought to it. I enjoyed it. My parents saw it. you think it was made I for a seven-year-old? I, I saw it as a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old. Um, yeah. And I got something out of it once I got past being scared by it. It's one of those things where it's kind of, I, you know, like something like The Goonies, which always comes up on the show, and I don't even like The Goonies, but I get that that's a big movie for kids. That's a frightening, vulgar movie of kids for kids, and that seems fine. Like, and it's scary. There are scary things in that, and I think those are the things that do kind of resonate because you work more for it, and because when you go to a movie... At least as a kid, it was bigger than TV. So if I went to a movie, I was going to hear language I wouldn't normally hear. I was going to see spectacle I wouldn't normally see. I was probably going to see a little violence, which isn't always good for me, but it was there. And so, you know, like something like Ghostbusters, I mean, most of those jokes went over my head, but I was hearing some funny swear words. And I was seeing, you know, the proton wands. And I knew I was experiencing a bigger doomsday story than I would normally on TV. So that was all part of the spectacle. And I liked that. I think when you look at a kid's movie of that era, you're talking about like Fox and the Hound, you know, which is so different. But I think you're also talking like Last Starfighter. I think you're talking War Games. I think you're talking NeverEnding Story, Dark Crystal. I mean, these are kids' movies that are horrifying. Clash of the Titans. I mean, these are all, these are aimed at a child's audience, I think. And mm -hmm. I love them now. I think Ghostbusters was a grown-up movie, and it felt like when I was watching it as a kid that I was like, 
like I was going to get in trouble. It's <laughs> kind of how it felt, even though I was watching it with my parents, because it was there was swearing and there's yeah. you know this stuff in it, and it, it and I really liked it. And I was scared as hell, just like you, but I really liked it um, as a kid. But I I don't feel like it was aimed at me like children's entertainment, like the you know Muppets Take Manhattan was aimed at me at that age. No, but I think you at know, that age, if I what sat memory down, do I have of Muppets Take Manhattan? If I sat down at that age and watched Caddyshack or Animal House, it wouldn't have struck me the same. Caddyshack, I would have thought the gopher was funny, but nothing else in that movie would have worked for me. Ghostbusters plays on something. And I think to get back to today's topic, Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan's a scary sci-fi movie, but it's still... My dad took me to see the first Star Trek movie when that came out, so I was like three and we went to the theater, and I, I fell right asleep. Like, I remember a scene of a robot floating, and years later when I watched the movie, I recognized the scene. That isn't... I don't feel that movie was for kids. I don't think that was... Even, That's not a crowd pleaser is what that one is. That's, it's a pretty yeah. movie. And, I, and now I'm like, I bet on the big screen it looks nice. But yeah, that wasn't something for a kid. Wrath of Khan has adventure in it, has characterization. It has stuff in it that I think appealed to you. You know, not not in the theater because it was scary, but after that, there are things in it that do appeal to kids. And I think it's weird now because as an adult, I'm still into Star Wars. As an adult, I'm still into X-Men. I'm still into the things I grew up being into. So I want to sometimes classify that as, well, that's adult. You know, that's adult entertainment. You know, but this stuff is, I don't know, Wrath of Khan, though. It's weird because I feel like that's, I guess that's not aimed at kids because of the, the, the mature storyline. But it's still kid-friendly and kid-appropriate. I mean, it was PG, right? It was rated PG when it came out? Must have been because it wasn't PG-13. Yeah, yet. it must have been. I don't know. I, I, I wonder if what my parents thought of the stuff I was watching because we weren't really, you know, like there were R-rated movies that I couldn't see without them. But like we all sat around and watched Ghostbusters together, you know. My dad laughed at the joke about the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man being sailor getting laid. I didn't get it, but I heard him laugh, so I laughed at. Like he understood, I would get the stuff that a kid gets, and I'll miss the stuff that doesn't. But I do wonder if something in that, something in the fact that I'm watching this movie with my dad, does that further as a child, much like your fear response to Wrath of Khan, does that further validate this thing? You know, sitting in, you know, like when I think of the TV I used to watch, it was a lot of shows like Punky Brewster, Silver Spoons. And then in all of that was Cheers, because that was a show my dad watched. And I watched it. And a six-year-old watching Cheers, I didn't get it, but I found it funny anyways. And then it stuck with me, and I kept going back. So I wonder if there's something as a kid that's either looking for this fear factor thing that you were saying that Nicholas Meyer kind of weighed on you or just, you know, this is what adults are like. I wonder if that influences what you pursue, you know, cause I used to love Garfield comic strips. I had a ton of Garfield books. <laughs> then my brother started reading Bloom County. I recognized the funny animals. And then I started reading Bloom County. And suddenly Bloom County is my favorite comic strip. I'm not getting any of the political references, but, but there's a penguin that's kind of funny. There's, there's, yeah. there's a penguin that's funny. And then there's just this idea that it's bigger. In this case, it's more, these are adult mm-hmm. topics, but to find something that's scarier, yeah, there's something scary, I'm going to approach it. I don't know, that's interesting to me because it at once invalidates the nostalgia, but also explains it to a degree. Because these things that mm-hmm. we remember, Star Trek, the Wrath of Khan, sounds like that is at once a metaphor and the actual process of maturity for you, in a way, the way you're, you, you seem to be zeroing in on Kirk. Every piece of 
pop culture can't do that. You know, like every issue of a comic book can't do that for me and every Transformer can't do that for me. But the one that I identify with, Optimus Prime impacting me because he brought a war to Earth that isn't his war and he believes he has to protect Earth. So there's this idea of honor in that that resonated with me. It's a truck that can talk. But that resonates with me, that I carry him forever, where I don't carry Voltron forever, where I don't carry other robots forever. There's an aspect of maturity that comes out of these things that we're really connected to, that that mythicizes them in a way. And Wrath of Khan is interesting to me because that maturity is at the heart of it. Like, that is what that movie's about. And that's why I still don't quite get what a kid gets out of it, but you definitely were attracted to it as a child. And I, I think that, I don't know, that's that's a unique relationship with a movie. getting used to being, getting used to fear or experiencing fear as part of growing up. And thank God for my life, I didn't have anything real to be afraid of in my day-to-day, like I was of someone putting a mind-control eagle in my ear. <laughs> but experiencing fear and getting learning how to cope with fear I think is part of growing up and maybe that is part of why I have this connection to uh, above and beyond what I already had with it I never had fear watching a Transformers cartoon <laughs> and I loved them all to death I wouldn't watch them now but I loved them all to death um, there's definite fear that happens in Star Wars movies especially the first one um, so I wonder if I think there is a connection with fear because fear is an emotion and you, we watch movies to feel something we desperately want to feel something and connect with people and I think the connection that I had with Captain Kirk and all these people that I felt with them combined with the, the real true fear and then like the laughs that come after fear um, really was like the, the good one-two punch that that seared it into my brain forever. Yeah. And you were genuinely terrified of it, of the, of the ear things, but still that's, mm-hmm. that, that is, I'm glad you, I don't know. I'm glad Nicholas Meyer shared that with you. Cause I'm kind of like, that's giving yeah. me a lot to reevaluate, not reevaluate, but to look at my nostalgia through. Cause there is, I think fear is the key emotion that motivated me. <laughs> I mean, I think it constantly is fear <laughs> of something, you know, be it fear of boredom, fear of destruction, fear of being ignored, fear of being found, whatever it is, that's the motivator. And so it's interesting to, to filter that through with this pop culture. Have you shown Wrath of Khan to your daughters? Are they, did you already say? Oh, for no, you didn't. No. Do you, fo- do you look forward no, to I, showing it to them? Do you think it's something you'll want to show them? Or do yeah, you- like when she's a teenager, I, uh, no. My daughter still hasn't seen Star Wars, I'm embarrassed to huh. say. She is... She's, we've read the stories. She knows everything that happens, but she is f- afraid of Darth Vader in a way that she won't be once she actually sees it. And I think she also might be afraid of that it's like such a big part of our lives in this house mm-hmm. that like she doesn't know what's expected of her and if she doesn't like it or something. I don't know. That's why I've never pressured her into watching Star Wars because I don't. I want her to come to it when she's ready for it. In the meantime, I'm happy to watch. Cars 3 and Frozen and all these different movies that are actually really good um, but just not the thing I ever expected to be doing with my life you know yeah. <laughs> watching princess movies ultimately all of the stuff and it's 
counterproductive because here, you know, here we are doing a show that we're asking people to listen to, but our experience with this stuff is very personal. And I think I'm slowly piecing together that there's a developmental process that those things are hooked on. And again, that's why I'm going to start thinking a lot about this idea of what was I scared of and is that what I gravitate towards? Because I think that's a great angle. And maybe it's the thing we'll go out on here because I think pop culture, the stuff that sticks, the stuff that stays is as impactive as history, as politics, as sports, as heritage because of those emotional connections. And so it sounds like Wrath of Khan, and I know we didn't even get to talk that much about the movie, but that is very much it sounds like that that is something that can follow you through your life, entwined like a like a like a DNA strand or something, through. Because is is there a third phase that we didn't get to of what it means to you now? Um, talked a little bit about it. One of the, yeah, I think it's going to be a very important movie to me when I am as old as Shatner was when he made it. I think um, when your life is kind of locked in and like the alternate paths kind of dry up and you're looking at it all, I think that's kind of the story of him dealing with aging and dealing with these choices he didn't make or did make and the different paths. I think when I am that age, looking at my life, I mean, I'm thrilled to death with my life and I love my life. And you always wonder what if and different paths for careers or whatever. But I think at that age, it will, it will have a different meaning for me than it does now probably. But I think I'm still going to love it because it's a good movie. Cool. Well, thank you for talking about it. Thanks for coming on. Um, that's the show. Thanks for having me. Right? I thought it was great of me to have you. Um, listeners, thank you. Uh, and I'm going to let you plug yourself in a moment, too, if there's anything you want to plug. But very quickly, listeners, thank you for listening. Um, as always, if you like the show, if you want to hear more of the show, visit um, www.20popcast.com. That's the main website for the show. The most recent episode is always up there, as, long, as well as links to all of our past episodes, um, so you can hear other episodes of the the show we've been around for a year and a few months now so you know you may want to go through the back catalog there are also links on that page to subscribe to the show it comes out every week if you want to get the new episode each week you can subscribe to us on uh, apple podcasts on stitcher on google play and some other pod catchers as they're called you can also follow us uh we can follow me at subcultist on twitter and instagram you can like the show on facebook and um, you also see links there to a lot of Bob's stuff. You can follow him. He does a comic strip. Please check that stuff out because that is kind of his professional passion worth, uh, worth, worth following up on. If you like him, he'll be back next week. But in the meantime, check out his show. That sentence was horrible. Jason, is there any way you want to, anything about yourself you want to you drop here? I don't know if you... Absolutely. Absolutely. If you are interested in watching, uh, getting caught up on all the episodes of Legends of Tomorrow from the CW, download the CW app or watch it on CWTV.com. No logins, no signups, just stream it for free anytime on demand. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Yeah. Well, um, so thanks for being on the show. Hilarious banter normally takes us out, but uh, this is fine too. Uh, we'll be back next week. Um, Jason, thank you very much. This was awesome. I um, and uh, thank you. I had a great time. Did you? Because I, I knew the I affirmation. Did. You did. You had it. You had a good time or a great time. I didn't hear what you said. I had a great. I had a spectacular. Is time. it going downhill quickly with all the questions now, or is it still maintaining itself? <laughs> still maintaining. Awesome. But let's not push it. Okay. Good point. Uh, thanks again. We'll be back next week. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Jason. 
see that at this point I don't know how to wrap it up because now I feel like maybe I did push it so now I'm trying to backtrack a little for comfort's sake yeah you've done a great job thank you that's all I was going for thank you I did a great job